Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Oh, good. You guys are a little more awake than the last service. I like that. Uh, well, my name is Tom Eichem. Uh, I'm the executive pastor here at Baylife, and uh, Mark is out of town this weekend. And so uh, he asked if I would continue the Trust and Obey series with you all this, this morning. And so we're going to do that. Uh, about 12 years ago, I developed a little thing called back pain. And it started making its uh, presence known to me uh, very, in a very unique way, uh, shooting pain kind of down my leg. And every so often when I'd kind of tweak it, I would just maybe lay down for a little bit, whether it be an hour, then maybe that might turn into a day, uh, all those kind of things. And it would kind of reset itself. Um, at that time, I was playing basketball probably three, four times a week with a bunch of friends in Dallas. And uh, I can remember... Uh, going for a loose ball, kind of at half court, and just before it went out of bounds, grabbing it, throwing it to someone from behind my back, and then crashing onto the floor. And then subtle back pain became immense back pain. And uh, I, I remember that morning where uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to get back up and stand back up. Uh, someone had to drive me home after that uh, morning playing basketball. And uh, Man, I was in pain, so I was like, okay, I'll take care of this. I'll just lay down for a couple days, and it'll be better. A couple days came and went, and it was not better. And so uh, what I did is I went to my doctor, and he's like, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little shot, cortisone, and you know, that'll maybe kind of fix it up, and shot me in my bum, and, and nothing. So a couple days later, I'm calling him back going, hey, that did nothing. So I was like, okay, I'll refer you to an orthopedic doctor. So he said, okay, what, you're going, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a needle and just uh, put it into your spine and shoot steroid into your spine, and we'll put you to sleep for the procedure and stuff, but that'll help take care of it. Now, this whole time, everyone's telling me, whatever you do, don't get surgery. Don't do back surgery. It seems like everyone had an uncle, a friend, a brother, a cousin, whatever, who had back surgery that went incredibly wrong. And so I'm sitting there this whole time like, okay, well, this isn't surgery. This is no problem. So they shot me uh, there, or shot, shot the needle in, into my spine, and for about three months, I was like, oh, this is, this is great. I can kind of function again. And then the pain came back. And this was kind of immense pain that just kept shooting down my leg. So I would sit for maybe a minute or two, and that was about it. Uh, when I drove to work, which was 15 to 20 minutes away, the first minute was great. The rest of the trip, I was screaming. I'm like, literally, I'd be sitting in my car, I'd be like, ah! It wasn't road rage, it was back rage. But it didn't help when the cars went slow. So I went back to him, I said, okay, so three months. He goes, well, that's, that sometimes happens. Uh, let's do it a second time, and, and sometimes it, you know, you, it can go longer. And I was like, okay, great. So I went through the procedure. A month later, I was back in his office, and he's like, okay, listen, I can only do three in a year, so let's do the third and see if how that works. Two weeks later, I was calling him back up going, okay, what's next? Because this is not working. So he referred me to a neurologist who came and, and said, hey, listen, yeah, we got to do back surgery. And I was like, oh, man. All I've been hearing about back surgery is don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it. And so he goes, well, this is actually the least invasive kind of back surgery you can have. I was like, well, great. He's like, it's called a discectomy. And I was like, Okay. And he's like, well, I'll, uh, I'll explain it to you in very, very simple terms. I was like, I like you already. 
Is it basically your disc? Think of it like a ketchup package. And what's happened is there's been a squeezing going on, and a little hole has developed, and the ketchup has leaked out, and that's sitting on your nerve. And so every time you sit down in a certain way, that's what's shooting the pain down there. I was like, okay, great. So how do we fix that? He goes, well, what we do is we're just going to go in and we're going to drill through your spine. I was like, wait a second. You're going to what? It's like, I'm just going to, it's a small, it's not like it's a huge drill. It's a small, but it's going to be through your spine. I was like, okay. And then we go in and we kind of clean up the ketchup off of the nerve. And then you kind of lay on your back for six weeks or so after that while the, pa- the, the ketchup package heals. I'm like, first of all, thank you again for using very simple language. I can totally understand what you're telling me, but drill through my spine. It's like, don't worry about it. Trust me. <laughs> okay, right? I can remember vividly walking into uh, the room where I was getting prepared for surgery. I went to lay down on the gurney while they put uh, the needle in and, and all the blood work was being done. And I was in so much pain that I stood up and I walked alongside the gurney into the OR. So I was holding kind of my hospital gown in one hand and, and uh, you know, the, the little whatever it is with the IV in the other hand. And we walked into the OR and I walked in and here are all these people in masks and they're all looking at me and they're like... Well, that's weird. They usually don't come standing up, right? <laughs> and so he's like, well, so I'm, I'm kind of frozen. And, and in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, don't do it. Everyone else has told me this is horrible, right? And the guy's like, the anesthesiologist looks at me. He's like, hey, if we're going to fix your back, you're actually going to have to lie down. And that moment where I'm like, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at the door. I don't know if I could get too far in my hospital gown. So I, of course, you know, I laid down on the gurney. They performed back surgery about 10 years ago. And I, I remember waking up, looking at Nicole, and just realizing I was no longer in pain. Now, I'll tell you, I went for a follow-up visit, and uh, my doctor said, here's the deal. You can keep playing basketball. That'd be great, but I'll see you back here in two to five years. Or if you want to wrestle with your kids and if you want to throw the football in the yard once in a while with the boys and all that kind of stuff and start walking, uh, I may never see you back here. Now, I'll tell you, there's been a couple weekends here and there where I've had some back pain, but literally, I've been pretty much pain-free for about 10 years. Yeah, that's a woo-hoo. I'll I'll give you that. (laughs) You see, it is easy to say, I have trust in the doctor it's, a, it's another thing to be able to say, I have trust in the doctor enough to lay down on the gurney, right? I mean, what is it? Major surgery is what happens to you. Minor surgery is what happens to anyone else. There, there's plenty of times where as a pastor, I've gone to pray with someone before the surgery and been like, oh, this, this is going to be great. It's, you'll be better in the end. You're praying for him and you're like, all right. It's a whole different thing to lay down on the gurney. Faith is like that isn't it? It's easy to have when nothing's at risk. It's easy to point out what other people should be doing and how they should be following, how they should be trusting, how they should be obeying the things that God is laying out for them to do. It's easy to advise someone else. We're going to take a look at the life of Joshua. Joshua lived a life that said, not only do I have trust in God, but I will obey him. I will follow his direction. I will go where he leads. He would say, hey, I have trust in God, so I'm going to be courageous here. 
I have trust in God, so I'm going to lead his people here. And it's with this life as a backdrop that we can pull up to Joshua chapter 24 and look at a challenge that Joshua issues to the nation of Israel. Because this is not a guy just talking about hypothetical stuff and wouldn't it be great if. This is a guy who had lived it. You see, my doctor wasn't just hoping that the surgery would work. I got an idea. What we could do is we could drill through your spine. And Now, this is a guy who had done hundreds of surgeries and was sought after. Joshua isn't coming to this moment saying, hey, guys, it'd be a great idea if you would do these things. He was saying, hey, look at my life. Look at our life together. Look how God has been there. He's trustworthy. I believe that Joshua's challenge to the nation of Israel and to, uh, is relevant to us today as a church, is relevant to us today as individuals, is relevant to us today as families. And so we're going to take a look at that challenge. Uh, but before we do, I'd love to just pray together. So will you join me in praying for this morning? God, we come to you this morning truly in need of a word from you. As we talk through the challenge that you gave the nation of Israel through Joshua, help us to hear the challenge that you have for us. Lord, I ask that you would just move me out of the way and that you would say the things you want said. Lord, make your words flow out of my mouth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have free reign in our hearts today that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that you would convict where we need to be convicted. Please, please, do your work in our hearts this morning. It is in your precious and holy name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen. In chapter 24, in verse 14, it starts off this way. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him, in faithfulness and truth. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As we read through that passage, verse 14, it's that second word in that passage that kind of leads us to a problem or a question. It says, now, therefore. And so the age-old obvious question when we see a therefore in Scripture is, what is it there for? Why is it there? So we need to ask. Well, usually it means that based on the context or based on what I've just told you, now do this or choose this in this case. And so the question becomes, well, what's before verse 14? The quick answer is 13 verses. Uh, But in reality, we need to look at those 13 verses and kind of see, what did Joshua set up? What did Joshua say before he issued this challenge, before he took a look at that? And I'm not going to read all 13 verses, but I'm going to say this. If I were to sum up those 13 verses, it would be easy to sum them up this way. God is God, and I am not God is God, and I am not. 
We, we tend to get this one mixed up every so often. We want to be in control, or at least have the illusion that we are in control. I mean, we get this confused. Uh, when we encounter certain situations or circumstances, we think, man, if I just do certain things, I could limit the bad things that might come. Or if I had only done this, then that totally would have changed that. But the reality is, we're not in control. I mean, we pretend to be. We can go around without a care in the world until something comes up that we can't solve. Uh, We don't have the strength or the power or the mental capacity to figure it out. And we're just kind of stuck. And it's at that moment that we can be reminded, oh yeah, I'm not in control. God is God and I'm not. He's in control. He's sovereign. Uh, The fact that you are here this morning looking at these verses with me, he's directed you in that way. He is in control. If you were to look back at those verses with me, you would find that another point kind of comes out. God is a God. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Have you ever had a place or a location that has a special meaning to you, or when you go there, it just brings back either a good memory or a bad memory? Uh, A lot of times when you log on to Facebook, they'll be like, hey, five years ago, you did this and posted this, and it's a picture, and you're like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. I remember that moment. I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, where you got married, and you go back to that town, and you just kind of remember and rekindle, and, and those memories come back up, or maybe where you went to school, And God did something in your life in that. And as you go back into that university and and visit, you're like, oh yeah, remember when God did that. Places can also have kind of a negative memory for us. My son Rylan plays, uh, he's 12 years old and he plays competitive soccer and has been doing that for about four years. And every so often he gets the opportunity to go play uh, at ESPN's, Disney's, little whatever, wide world of sports thingy. Uh, probably plays her once or twice a year. And it's a great racket for Disney because you end up going there and you pay to watch your kid play the sport that you've already paid for. So you're like, what? I'm paying to get in to watch him play. Well, there is one field there that every time he has had a game, it has always been a horrible game. Like he has just played, it's some of the worst soccer I think I've ever watched him play on this one field. And if you've ever been into ESPN World, Wide World Sports, you walk through the gate, which you've waited forever in the hot sun to get through, and then you come to past like these restaurants, and there's this uh, three-way area kind of thing where you can go where they have a big screen, television screen. You can go to the left past the Braves Stadium and down, and then there's soccer fields just stretched or fields. You can go to the right past the, the Johnson Center and, and all that and down those and, and soccer fields there, or you can go straight down past another Uh, basketball area, and just soccer field and baseball fields and stadium fields go back just as far as the eye can see. There's like 40-some-odd fields, and of course, they're expanding. So there's, I mean, just fields forever. So his field that he can't stand is when you're right at that area, you look down over the, the, it's like the prime, pristine first field that you run into. If there was another way into the park, he would take it. Because he just remembers there's just bad memories in this. It's the one, it has a hill, has Mickey Mouse's little, you know, the mouse ears and stuff just staring over. It's supposed to be a really happy place, really fun, you know, memory thing for him. He can't stand that field. And so he had to play there Memorial Day uh, weekend, and we were in a turn, or <laughs> we, he was in a tournament there. 
his team, and uh, he got assigned. His third game was on that field. And so I'm looking at the schedule, and I see, uh-oh, it's that field. And so we're walking in, and he's like, Dad, where, where, where am I playing today? And I was like, oh, you're playing at this one. And so I started, you know, trying to coach him up as best I can. I was like, come on, man, let's turn the field of nightmares into the field of dreams. Let, you know, and I'm just starting to work with him the whole way down the stairs. And he's got to the field and he's like, yes, all right, I'm ready to play. I'm telling you, the first 10 minutes of that game was awesome. He played great. And he's, you know, I'm like this and he's looking at me like, like right back there. He receives the ball, gets it, looks at the defender, totally fakes him out. He's going to goal. The defender comes from behind, slide tackles him from behind, and he breaks his leg. I know, right? <clears throat> so he's laying on the field. They, they didn't call a foul. And if you follow soccer, it easily could have been a yellow, no problem. Uh, but they didn't call anything, right? And the play continues, and then they see him still laying on the ground. And so the ref comes up to him and goes like this, come on, man, get up right? We didn't know it was broken at the time. We just, he usually hops right back up, so we knew there was something going on with him. And he's, lay, he's laying on the field with a broken leg, looking at the guy going, how could you not call that? That was so obvious. It was a yellow, if not a freak, at least a freak kick. Come on. And the rest like, come on, get up. Well, they end up taking him out, right? They roll the card out there. They put him on it. I meet him in the training tent. And the trainer looks at it and goes, ooh, that's broken. I was like, no, seriously, really? I've been doing this a long time. I would bet money that's broken. So we get on the cart, and she hands us some information to go to the hospital over there in Orlando. And we're rolling out, and as we look over to that field, he goes, Dad, I hate that field. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I know, sorry. This place in Joshua chapter 24, verse 1, it says this. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. This place is exactly opposite that field in Disney. You might want me to read more, but when the Bible uh, mentions a place in a story, it kind of helps unpack a specific meaning or gives us some more clarity on the story. Shechem really does both that for us. If you have your Bibles, you can pencil in Genesis 12, 6 and 7. Genesis 12, 6 and 7. Uh, this is where many years before that, uh, God took Abraham. And this is a spot where God told Abraham these words. To your descendants, I will give this land. To your descendants, I will give this land. Well, here it is many years later, many generations later. And Joshua has led the Israelites into that land. And so when he decides to gather them for this kind of parting challenge, he chooses Shechem because it's a reminder that God is a God who keeps his promises. How grateful are we that this is true of God, that he is one who keeps his promises to us. When I look at just verses maybe we all memorize as kids, like John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I'm glad, no, I'm thrilled that God is a God who keeps his promise. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, 
I'm comforted by the fact that God is a God who keeps his word. Uh, The problem for us usually has to deal with timing. Uh, We want things yesterday, let alone having to wait a day or two or years from now. And so when we come to one of God's promises in scriptures, we can get angry, we can lose faith, we can drift. We can stop resting in the truth of the promise. And the truth of the knowledge that God is a God who keeps his promises. Maybe the only reason you're here this morning is just to be reminded of that. That God keeps his promises. As we move to verse 2 through 13, Joshua goes through the history of the nation. He talks about Abraham, uh, how he led him already through that land. uh, How he provided uh, an offering uh, when he was going to offer his son Isaac, uh, his son, Isaac's sons Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob and his sons, uh, you have Joseph, and then the move to Egypt. And then he fast forwards 400 years, and the Israelites find themselves in slavery, and Moses and Aaron come onto the scene. The plagues, being led out of Egypt, the wanderings, the battles up to the land of the Canaanites, and then Jericho. There's one point that I really want to kind of mention to you in, this, in, in all of these verses. Uh, we see this poured out time and time again in this passage as we recount Israel's history. And it's simply this. God wants it made abundantly clear that he is in control. That he is in control. In fact, if you were to read those verses, 2 through 13, you would see 18 times the word I. I'm not going to read you the verses, but let me read you these words. I took, I gave, I gave, I sent, I plagued, I did, I brought, I brought, I did, I brought, I gave, I destroyed, I would not listen, I delivered, I gave, I sent, I gave. You see, God wants it known that he's in control. I mean, think of your personal history, the events that God moved so that you would find him. See how God has directed your steps. God reminds them, I promised it to you, I told you to go there, and then I delivered it to you. All you needed to do was follow me, was obey what I laid out in front of you. There's one other thing I want to make mention of in these 13 verses. And it's actually found in verse 11. It's simply this. His ways are trustworthy. His ways are trustworthy. Verse 11 says this. You went over to the Jordan, to Jordan uh, and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And I gave them into your hand. And if you recall the timing, uh, Joshua had just crossed over the river Jordan. And even though many years earlier, as one of the 12 spies, he said, listen, I know there are giants in the land, but if God wants us to have it, no problem, we'll have it, right? And the rest of the nation voted, no, we're going to go no. We'd like to wander for the 40 years. And so they choose, you know, what was behind option number B there. And they wandered, and they came back to it. And Joshua was saying, listen, I know that we have this. I know that God's going to deliver this. But have you seen the walls on that city? I mean, it's 40 feet high. 
We've been wandering for these 40 years. We don't, it's not like we've you know, been trolling a battering ram behind us that we're going to break down these walls. How is this going to happen? This is going to take a while. This is going to be a long siege. What's going to happen here? And as he was out kind of surveying and thinking, uh, if you were to turn to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13, you would see this. Joshua was by Jericho. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with, his, with drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. I love that answer. Are you on my team or their team? No. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servants? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you, where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Whose side are you on? Neither. I'm the commander. Uh, this would be referred to as a theophany. This is an appearance of God in human flesh. He wants it understood. We are not on God's side. Sorry, he is not on our side. We are on his. He's the one in control. There was no doubt in Joshua's mind that he was in the presence of God. He began immediately to worship. And other places in Scripture, when an angel comes with a message and, and the person begins to freak out and worship, the, the angel's like, whoa, yeah, yeah, not me. No, 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 stand back up, not me. I'm not, I'm not the one worthy of that. But in this case, the guy goes, yeah, great. Now also take off your shoes because where I'm standing, I've made it holy. He worships. Notice that when he is presented with a problem and he comes face to face with God, his reaction is to worship. There's something wonderful about coming in together and singing God's praises and helping us to refocus on who he is and what he has done. I'm going to tell you this week... um, this week was a hard, hard week. But it was such an encouragement just to sit back and to be in this room and listen to the praise of his people. I am so thankful for our worship team to come and to lead us week in, week out, and to help us to understand that God is God and we're not, and to refocus us on who he is and what he has done. And so God gives him the plan to take over Jericho and to destroy that city. And I'm going to be honest, it, the plan sounds a bit ridiculous. I mean, if we were just to read the plan and not the rest of the chapter, we'd be like, okay, wait, what? It sounds a little hard to follow. In fact, it's something like this video. Take a look at this. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. (laughs) I have an exercise that I think will really help. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, No, I just said I don't trust you. 
Well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust Good. you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm going to fall okay. back. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted, all right? <clears throat> do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay, I'm gonna do it. All right. I'm really gonna do it. <laughs> Good. Ah! Oh, Jesus, you really caught me! I didn't think you were gonna catch me, but you did! Oh, that was, was great. great! That was great! You're ready for level two! Level two, here yes. I come, baby! Woo! Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> okay, hold it. <laughs> oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. <laughs> ah, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this one's a little bit different. Lori. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh huh. But face me. Forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes. The okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. Especially when you do it. <laughs> Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus. I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. There's sometimes in Scripture that what God is asking us to do just seems like we're falling back into a void. Is this really going to work? Is this really going to make a difference? When uh, you think of the plan that Joshua received from, from the Lord about Jericho, I mean, the plan is pretty much summed up. Okay, I want you to gather everyone together. We're going to walk around the city one time. We're going to have seven uh, ram's horns in front of us, and they're going to play the entire time, but you're not going to say a word. So we're going to do this once a day for six days. On the seventh day, and you can picture Joshua writing this down, oh, seven, that's a, usually a good number, great. On the seventh day, you're going to go around seven times. And on the seventh time, when the, when the trumpets blare, you're going to shout out, just shout. And then you're going to rush in. So what happens between shout and rush in? Like what, where, where, where does that, how does that wall come down? How does that opening happen? Yeah, that's just it. The wall's going to fall. So we shout, and the wall will fall. Yeah. I'm sure it sounded a bit ridiculous. In fact, I'm sure that when Joshua was recounting that to other people, saying, okay, so here's the deal. Here's the plan. It's going to be great. We're going to walk around seven times, and then we're going to yell at the wall. It's going to come down. We're going to rush in. Uh, Joshua, could you back up? Yell at the wall? That's it? They don't make walls like they used to. Are you sure? I mean, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the, the, the Bible doesn't recount kind of any hesitation on Joshua's part, but I'm wondering within the nation, if there were a few people that were lined up, that were walking around going, okay, 
okay, right? We're going to yell. It's going to work. And feels a little ridiculous to do this. Right? And then when they start yelling, they're like, hey, it's coming down. That's awesome. I'm sure for the people on the wall, they were looking at it and they're like, oh, really? We got a lot of food. We got a lot of time. We cannot wait you. Oh, hey, what's going on with the wall? Sometimes God's plan and God's directions and God's instructions look ridiculous to other people. And sometimes they feel ridiculous to us, but I mean, that's never happened before in Scripture, right? I mean, think about it. Okay, Noah, I know it's never really been raining much, but I want you to build an ark, see? Gideon, here's the deal. Send everyone home except for 300, and we'll take on 120,000, and it'll be great. Okay, Daniel, I know you guys have just, you know, you're in another land, you've been taken over by the king, but don't listen to their instructions. Eat the food that I've told you to eat. Jonah, you're a rock star here in Israel, but I want you to go outside of Israel and go to a different town. Simon, Andrew, you've been fishing all your lives. That's all you know. But here's what I'd like you to do. Drop those nets and come and follow me. Oh, you're blind. Okay, well, let's just put some mud in that eye and that will take care of that. You're not catching any, any fish? Great, here's the deal. Lift up the nets, take them to the other side of the boat, and then put them back down. But the fish go... Listen, sometimes God's ways, God's instructions, feels ridiculous, sounds ridiculous, but what we know in chapter 6 is that Joshua followed them to the letter. And in verse 27 in that chapter, it says this, God was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the land. I can remember as a kid, my parents' favorite form of discipline was grounding me. And so when I was in middle school, I used to be late to dinner quite often. And um, it didn't really make my mom happy when I came walking late. I just got so tied up into what I was doing, having fun. I was outside all the time. And I remember one Friday afternoon, I came an hour late to dinner. And my dad met me at the door, which was never a good sign. Right? And so they, we had this nice long talk, and I was going to be grounded for the weekend. And usually grounding for me meant, you know, no TV, uh, no radio. Just I could read a book, and I could hang out in my room or hang out with everyone else and actually talk to them. But that was it. I couldn't go outside, couldn't do anything. Well, that weekend, my parents were going to be out of town, and so they arranged for me to stay with the neighbor's house, uh, an older couple named the Andersons. And I remember hanging out in that house, and I was sitting there in the front room reading my book, knowing that I was grounded, and she came to me, and she's like, Tommy, I see you all the time outside. I rarely see you inside. Why don't you just go outside and play? It's, It's a beautiful day. And I was like, oh, Ms. Anderson, thanks, but I can't. I'm grounded. And she was like, huh, your mom didn't say anything about that to me. I'm sure it'd be fine. Just, just go outside and play. And I'm, you know, in, in Sunday school the week before, they just talked about obey your parents so that it would go well with you kind of thing. So I'm like, well, Mr. Anderson's saying I can go, but my parents said I was grounded. So, so I decided to stay. I was like, no, my, my mom and dad said I'm grounded, so I'm going to sit here and read. I remember my friends coming to the door and being like, 
dude, let's go. Come on. Miss Anderson going, yeah, look, your friends are here. Go ahead. And I was like, no, I, I'm grounded. I'm going to tell you, it felt silly to obey my parents in that moment. Uh, it looked ridiculous to everyone around me. My mom and dad came home, and they, uh, they asked Miss Anderson, hey, how'd the weekend go? And he's like, oh, he was great, but okay, so this is weird. All he did is he sat in the front room, and he read like pretty much the entire weekend. Something about being grounded. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot to tell you. In fact, we meant to tell him that we weren't going to have him be grounded for that weekend. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? It was a beautiful day out. But what did that do for my relationship with my mom and dad in that moment? I'm going to tell you, it built trust that had been lacking And as a dad, now on this side of it, looking back to that moment, I see more of what it built in that relationship. So when we come to Scripture and it says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, I know that his ways are trustworthy. When it tells us to love our wives like Christ loved the church, I know that it's trustworthy. When it tells us, man, if you have a problem with someone, another brother, a fellow Christian, go and, and deal with that before you come to the altar. I know that Scripture's trustworthy. When it tells us, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You see, the problem for us is that when, we, when it comes to following Jesus, we like to kind of choose the ones that mean more to us or are easier for us to follow. I'll do whatever you want, Lord, except for what's written here. I'll follow you in anything except for fill in your own blank there. What's that one thing where you're like, all right, God, not this one, not yet. Leads me to Joshua again. He would tell you this, God is God. Don't settle for less. God is God. Don't settle for less. Go back to that verse that we read in the beginning. It says, Now therefore, because he keeps his promises, because he's in control, because his ways are trustworthy, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Leads me to the question, what do you put in his place? Well, for the Israelites, uh, those areas that they lived, uh, they had roots in Mesopotamia and in Egypt. And in those areas, it was common to have multiple gods. And so, yes, I'm going to serve Yahweh, but I also got these other little gods that I'm going to serve as well when it's more convenient for me to serve. And Joshua's saying, no, no, no. That's no longer good. It's God or it's those other gods. That's the choice. Joshua pretty much just lays down kind of the ultimate challenge. He spent 13 verses going, look, I did, I gave, I gave, I went... All this stuff, right? 
made it abundantly clear that God was the one who directed their path, that God was the one who opened up that land, that God was the one who fulfilled his promise, that God was the one who was in control, that God was the one who was trustworthy. And they said, hey, guess what? Now choose. He makes the choice incredibly obvious. Uh, there's a commercial out today that uh, always makes me giggle. Uh, it's a, it's, uh, lays up that kind of a choice. In fact, I want to show it to you. How's it going? Have you ever been inside a materials testing facility? First time. Let me ask you, what is your perception of steel? Durable. Powerful. When I say the word aluminum, what's your perception of that? The opposite, really. Easy to bend. Light. There are two cages in this room. Mm -hmm. This one on the right is made out of high-strength steel. The one on the left is made out of aluminum. Go ahead and feel both of these cages behind you, and then come back to the yellow square. Now I'm going to release a 700-pound grizzly bear into the room, so you better pick a cage and get in it. Oh, Man, what the I think he's, circle, he's circling me. How do you feel about your choice in cages right now? Huh? Well, I'm glad I picked this cage. Oh, he's foaming at the mouth, too. Why did you pick the steel cage over the aluminum cage? I figured it'd be harder for the bear to get in the steel. Would you rather be in the aluminum cage? Would you rather be in the aluminum cage? Uh, no. What a great reminder, right? Joshua has just laid this up. We got the steel cage and we got the aluminum cage. Who would you rather trust? Who would you rather follow? We read this today and sometimes I think we look at it and we go, man, how could they actually be worshiping false idols? I mean, we know that they really don't have the power, right? We have the benefit of reading the whole history and kind of seeing God move. But think about it. What do we put in God's place? Or what do we say, okay, God, I'll put you in, in the first place, but I also have some other first place things too that also need to be there. Whether it be money, time, friends, sports, things that we own, status, jobs, None of those things are bad in and of themselves, but when we put them in the same place as God, we're trusting in the aluminum cage. Look at the Israelites' answer. You see it in verse 17. First, they're going to acknowledge that only He, only God, can rescue us. They say this, For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. God had brought the nation of Israel out of slavery. He had freed them from bondage. He saved us as well. He has dealt with our sin. He has freed us from sin. If you have placed your trust and your faith in Jesus for your salvation, He has freed you from sin and from the consequence of that sin. The penalty. We are no longer slaves to sin. We can be slaves to righteousness. Not only that, but only He can amaze us. Verse 17 again. And He did those great signs in our sight. You see, God sustained them through all the travels. God did amazing things. He brought food from the sky in the form of manna. He brought water to them from a rock. 
The God of miracles is still God today. And he can amaze us in so many ways. I've watched him heal friends from cancer that the only way to explain it is that God moved. I mean, I know I've been in Florida just over 10 years, but I still go to the beach and I look at the creativity and, and just those sunsets and I'm like, oh man, God is amazing. Not only that, they say, but only he can protect us. 17 and 18. And persevered us all the way that we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. You see, for the nation of Israel, he is their rock, he is their fortress, he is their shield, he is their comforter. Uh, He fought those battles, he walked them through all of those. Guess what? He's still that for us today. He can protect us. He can sustain us. He can encourage us. He can comfort us. He can give us a spirit of power to do everything that he's asked us to do. He is our rock, our salvation. He is our comfort in our hard times. So let me ask you this. What's that one thing? That one action in your life that you know, that you know God is calling you to take. God is calling you to move on but you're hesitating. Whether it's fear, whether it's apathy, whether it's because it's uncomfortable. I know I need to love my wife like Christ loved the church, but you don't know what she did. Have you met the church? I know I should stop ignoring that person at church that I'm just angry with, and I should go and make it right with them, but you, have, you don't know what they said. I know I should honor my mom and dad, but you don't know how stupid they sound. I mean, think about it. What is your thing? That situation that God is looking at you directly this morning and saying, listen, trust me, walk in obedience in this one. Fall back. My prayer is that when, as those moments come to us this, this week, as we go out from here, that your answer, that my answer, that our answer would be very similar to how the Israelites responded here in verse 18. They said this, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I love that as I look at uh, the history in Joshua, that there's no mention of Joshua hesitating. That he gets your instruction and goes, okay, and just goes. Lord, I want to be that kind of man. That when you lay those things out in front of me, that I just walk in them. God, I pray that for my brothers and sisters in this room too. That you would direct us, that you would lead us, and that you would meet us in those moments where we're looking at and we're going, oh man, I don't know about this one. And that you would help us to trust and to obey and walk 
in the ways that you want us to walk. Thanks for this morning, God. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, Mark will be back next week, and we continue to trust and obey. Hope you have a great week. If you would like someone to pray with you, uh, we'll be up in the corner and would love to do that.